Both parties have laid out their policies on the table for all to see. What's holding us back is a stalemate in Washington between two fundamentally different views of which direction America should take. And this election is your chance to break that stalemate. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Robert Smith. Today is Tuesday, July 17th. And that was President Obama laying out his big economic plan at a speech last month in Cleveland. Mitt Romney had his own economic speech in my hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio, around the same time. And that is what we're going to be talking about today on the program, presidential economic platforms and how there's a mystery about them to us here at Planet Money. Yeah. Here's what's strange. We talk to economists, academics, policymakers all the time. And sure, there is a lot of disagreement among them about what to do about the economy. In fact, we highlight that disagreement every week here on Planet Money. But there is actually a surprising amount of stuff that they agree on, that a wide range of policy experts all across the political spectrum, they think are policy no-brainers, things that these experts agree should be on any presidential candidate's economic platform. Well, today on our program, we convene a panel of economic experts from across the political spectrum, and we ask them, what do you all agree on? What should a candidate propose as part of their economic agenda? And we come up with our own dream platform. And we learn exactly why no actual politician who wants to get actual votes ever listens to the advice of the experts. All right. If we were going to come up with a dream presidential platform, we need a dream team of economists. And if we have a dream team of economists, we need a super fancy intro. You ready to do the honors? Let's do it. From the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C., weighing in on blogs and articles around the globe, economist Dean Baker. You could probably describe me as left of center, to be fair. And on the opposite side of the spectrum, from George Mason University, Russ Roberts. Uh, On the grand spectrum of economic policy, I'm a pretty hardcore free market guy. I'm probably called a libertarian. Playing the center of the spectrum, Catherine Baker. I'm a professor of health economics at the Harvard School of Public Health. From across the ocean to the University of Chicago, Luigi Zingales. What I like to say is I'm uh, pro-market but not necessarily pro-business. And finally, rounding out the panel from Cornell University, the economist so nice they gave him a first name twice, Robert Frank. I'm a registered Democrat. I think of myself as a radical pragmatist. So... This is an incredible lineup. Experts from the top of the fields, from all over the ideological spectrum. And if you were to come up with an idea that they all agreed on, you would think this might be an idea you'd want to propose as a candidate running for office. And it's not a mythical quest. We found six, six major changes to our economy that pretty much the entire panel signed off on. And these are six ideas that can't be found in the hundreds of pages of economic plans that Barack Obama and Mitt Romney have released. And so, without further ado, the six-plank economic platform that every single one of our panelists signed off on, they all started here with the tax code. And we're not talking about little tweaks to the tax code, a percentage point cut here in that rate or a bump there in that rate. No. To a person, our panelists said, the tax code in this country makes fundamentally no sense and needs to be completely overhauled. The, the simplest thing uh, is sort of uh, a overall reform of the tax code in the direction of eliminating all the loopholes and differences, and in particular deductions. 
That was Luigi Zingales. And I do feel, Alex, like I do actually hear this line. Oh, simplify the tax code, close loopholes, eliminate waste, that sort of thing from presidential candidates. Right. But do you ever actually hear people say which loopholes they would like to eliminate? No. They're usually not very specific about that. It sounds good to say, uh, yeah, I want to close a loophole. But you have to remember every loophole, every deduction has people, voters, I should say, who benefit from it. All the deductions have a, a history and an explanation. But uh, even if I might think some of them are useful, like the charitable deduction, etc., I think that the only defensible line is zero. So you should not be able to deduct charitable deductions. You should not be, you should able, not to... be able to deduct anything. All of them. All the deductions gone. And, you know, this might not sound that crazy to people because because I think when people think, oh, like tax deductions, loopholes, they think some corporation or some rich dude getting a sweet deal. But the biggest of these deductions, in fact, the biggest one is the one that most of us wouldn't think of as a loophole at all. And so Planet Money presidential platform plank number one, eliminate that deduction. One that, you know, I think just defies, you know, common sense the way we have it is is the mortgage interest deduction. The mortgage interest deduction. Mortgage interest is actually an uh, extremely regressive form of taxation, extremely perverse. Ah, I hate to hear this because like many Americans, I have a mortgage and I do write off the interest on my taxes. And Alex, I actually know exactly how much it saves me because, you know, I do the TurboTax thing and you can click and unclick parts of this program. And I figured out exactly what the mortgage interest deduction saves me. $5,000 a year. That is not nothing. Yeah. But, you know, I feel as someone in the middle class that this is not a bad thing. You know, I feel like this is an encouragement for me to own a home, to participate in my community in Brooklyn, to not pollute or, you know, throw trash on the ground. I believe that this makes me a good resident of the United States. But from an economist's point of view, this is $5,000 that the government is arbitrarily giving you and other mortgage holders over other people in society. So, for example, I rent. I don't have a mortgage, but I live in my house. I love my community, but I don't get any special tax treatment from the government. So it does seem a little unfair. And our economists say it's not just unfair. It's actually distorting. There have been mountains of papers written on all the bad things that the mortgage interest deduction does. For one thing, our economist said, the bigger your mortgage, the bigger the tax break you get. The richer you are, the more money the government gives you back. Here is a liberal and a conservative, Dean Baker and Luigi Zingales. It just makes no sense that, you know, if we have Bill Gates or whoever, some very wealthy person, we're subsidizing them to get an expensive home. So because rich people receive a much larger subsidy, the, the price of houses increase so much that it actually makes less affordable for the poor people. So it, it's a really perverse form of... Uh, um, subsidy. And by the way, this is not a secret. The mortgage interest deduction. Everyone lots, knows about this. Everyone knows about it. A lot of economists are on record as saying it's a very bad idea. Somebody should come along and try to get rid of it or fix it. I'll tell you why. In fact, I will show you why. We're going to bring in an actor. We're going to put in some applause and some reverb. We're going we're to try out presidential platform plank number one. That's why... When I'm elected President of the United States, I have a special plan for the middle class. All of you Americans who own your own homes, I promise to raise your tax bill by thousands of dollars a year. 
Yeah, it doesn't sound good, does it? Yeah, no. Now, of course, this candidate could go on to explain it actually makes things fairer overall. It, it gets rid of these distortions in the housing market. And we've all seen what kind of problems distortions in the housing market can cause. It'll probably actually lower housing prices for people who want to buy houses in the future. And in fact, the government will be bringing in so much money that it was formerly giving back to you and all your mortgage holding brethren that maybe it could actually lower taxes on everyone a little bit. Explanation's a little hard to fit in a bumper sticker, but I think we'd go with it. That's plank number one. And if you like that, you are going to love plank number two, which involves another deduction, a deduction that may even be more distorting than the first one, the mortgage interest deduction. Okay, if you have a job that pays for your health insurance, then you are benefiting from this deduction right now. And you might not even realize it, but our panel of economists, they immediately zeroed in on this as something that has got to go. The deduction for employer-provided health care. The way we handle it right now is that if you get health insurance through your job, you don't pay taxes on that benefit the way you would on your wages, and your employer doesn't pay taxes on that benefit. Okay. We uh, might have lost some people there. This is a little confusing because to non-economists, this is a very obscure point. But here's the way it works. Okay. Think about your salary. If someone asks you, hey, Alex, how much do you earn? You say, oh, you know, whatever, $50,000 a year. But that's not your entire compensation. The company is actually giving you something else of value, health insurance, which, frankly, when you look at it, is like giving you money. But the IRS views these two forms of compensation very differently. They tax you on the dollars you get from your salary, but they don't tax you on that other form of compensation, your health care benefits. And this is the key. They don't tax your employer either. Remember, your employer does get taxed on the salary they pay you. So you may be thinking, why is this a problem? We don't have to tax everything in life. And I think we can agree that having health insurance is a good thing. Why should we tax it? Yes, but have you ever heard the phrase, too much of a good thing? Here is Catherine Baker, panelist and healthcare economist. Some people actually have too much health insurance. And that's a controversial thing to say. But if you have health insurance that covers everything under the sun with no co-payments you would be completely reasonable to say, well, I don't care how much benefit the MRI will give me. If it gives me even a tiny little bit of health benefit, I want it. So when health insurance completely insulates people from facing any price of the care that they consume, they start to consume health care that has lower and lower and lower value in terms of producing health. And the question is, should federal government tax uh, should the tax code be subsidizing extra, extra, extra care that's producing lower and lower and lower health benefits when those monies could be going to alternative uses like education or housing or welfare or national defense? So here's the problem. If employers are being encouraged by the tax code to spend more and more money on Cadillac health plans, that drives up the cost of health care overall, which just makes it more expensive for everyone, including people who don't have health care through their jobs. They are priced out of the market. So all this discussion we have about health care costs going through the roof, we heard over and over again, and everyone wants to blame somebody. Okay, blame the insurers or blame the doctors or blame the trial lawyers. But our economists say part of the blame is this ridiculous deduction, which amounts to a huge subsidy to an already bloated health care system. All right, let's go to our fake presidential candidate. My opponent is always talking about those of you without health care. I understand that's a problem, but I alone am tackling a problem equally as great. Those of you with too much health care, 
And so I pledge costlier and more restrictive health plans for most working Americans. And that's why no one elects economists. <laughs> it sounds crazy to say I have the solution to rising health care costs. I'm going to tax your health insurance benefits. When you say it out loud, it sounds wrong. <laughs> but the, the crazy thing about this particular provision in the tax code is that it's inefficient in driving use of health care that really has questionable value, and it's inequitable. I am imagining fake voters streaming out of our fake auditorium in which our fake candidate is talking. They don't even want to hear this. But fortunately, as you know, plank three, I think is something that people can get around, a massive tax cut. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. A tax cut that's an insidious tax. It's felt everywhere in the American economy. It destroys jobs, stops innovation. I am all for it. Okay, who gets this tax cut? Uh, not who. What? For being blue sky here, um, I would say the corporate tax is totally a waste. The, the corporate income tax makes no sense whatsoever. You are killing the voters here. So far, we've got raise taxes on the middle class and eliminate taxes on corporations. Yeah, and those were the two most liberal members of our panel, Dean Baker and Robert Frank. And here's the reason that they and pretty much all our panelists hate the corporate income tax, which, by the way, is one of the highest in the world here in the United States at 35%. It doesn't make sense really to tax the corporation as such. What we want to do is... I'm going to sound like I'm Mitt Romney here. Um, what we care about is if the corporation is reinvesting the money, um, what's wrong with that? Why do we want them to prevent? Why do we want to prevent the corporation from reinvesting the money? What we might want to prevent is they're giving the money to wealthy shareholders, or then buying a second, a third, fourth home, getting a new Mercedes every six months, whatever it might be. That's where we want to have the taxes. We don't want to prevent Microsoft or General Motors, whoever it might be, from investing more and improving their product line. That that's a good thing in my view. So a lot of people, you know, when they think the corporate tax, they want to keep the corporate tax in place because they want rich people to pay more taxes. And rich people own corporations. Right. But our panel agreed if you want to tax rich people, and not all of our panelists agreed, by the way, that you should tax rich people more than others. Just, but if you did, if that's what you wanted to do, just tax rich people, do that. Don't tax the corporation. Okay. Plank number three. Roll it. My opponent, Barack Obama... He's proposed lowering the corporate tax rate to 28%. Mitt Romney suggested 25%. I say, read my lips. No taxes for corporations. Zero, nada, nothing. Alex, people are streaming out of the doors of our fake auditorium. They are literally turning out the lights on our candidate. Uh, whoa, 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 wait, wait, hold, hold on. Not done. There's more. You're going to like this. Something else I'm proposing. I promise to eliminate all income and payroll taxes. Okay. Okay. There's, there's something we can sell. Yeah. And it's not just pandering. There is good, solid economic reasoning behind plank number four, getting rid of the income tax and getting rid of those payroll taxes, you know, the, the taxes on your, on your check that are for Social Security and Medicare. Here is registered Democrat Robert Frank. Taxes have two effects. They raise revenue. That's the one we're focused on here. But they also have a second effect, which is to discourage the thing that you tax. Mm -hmm. We tax income for the, f for the first of the two effects of a tax because it's an easy way to raise revenue. 
But if you if you ask, uh, is income a bad thing? Should we discourage income? Answer, no. Uh, that's not a useful thing to do at all, right? And the payroll tax is another offender. How is it that creating a job is a harmful activity? It's not only not harmful, it's absolutely beneficial. Why do we want to discourage that when there are other things that we could and should tax even if we didn't need extra revenue? So clearly there is a problem here. The government gets most of its money from income tax. And although at least one of our members, Russ Roberts, I'm looking in your general direction, uh, at least he wouldn't have too much problem with shutting down most of the government. The rest of them, in fact, they all agreed there needs to be some form of taxes. The question is what to tax. Now, most of the panel... If you ask them, they would say some form of a consumption tax. Now, this is a tax that's embedded in everything you buy. And I should say, as an aside, Dean Baker, he he was not in favor of consumption tax. He said it's too hard to make it work. But everybody else was in support of it and had interesting, clever ways of making it progressive so that rich people and yacht owners would pay a bigger share of the tax burden and people struggling to put food on the table would pay less. And just to get enough money to keep the government running, there is another type of tax that our economists love. And it fits into a theme that we've been sort of dancing around with all these other planks in our panel, which is if you subsidize something, you get more of it. This is a basic principle of economics. If you provide a deduction for something, if you make something tax-free, people will consume more of it, sometimes more than you want. And here's the flip side of this principle. If you tax something, you get less of it. So economists say... Let's use that to make the world a better place. Here's Luigi Singales. So I think that would be useful to introduce uh, what we economists call uh, Piguvian taxation, which is taxation of uh, um, bad things. Uh, Like, for example, smoking is considered sort of uh, damaging to health, not only of yourself, but other people as well. And so we tax it to try to force people to internalize the cost that they produce on other people. And so when you ask the panel, what are the worst things, the the things that are causing the most problems in the world right now, it's pretty clear. Pollution, carbon, which is causing global warming, you got to tax that. Raise taxes on gasoline, raise taxes on pollution of all forms. Tax energy use or carbon emissions in a way that reflected the cost to the environment that we all share. I mean, we're we're causing damage and we, you know, we, we can't seriously deny this. Now, I should say our libertarian, uh, Russ Roberts, he rolled his eyes at this. He he had these practical questions like, how do you get the size of the tax right? And how do you enforce it all around the world? Which, as we know, winds blow over from China. If you're going to do this, you have to do this worldwide. But even with all those disclaimers, Russ Roberts said. The environment is one area where I think the case for government intervention is the strongest because the spillover effects are most obvious. All right. So... Even our libertarian, Russ Roberts, sort of on board? Hit it, fake presidential candidate. When I'm sworn in on day one, I have a word of advice for the American public. Make sure you have a full tank of gas. I promise to raise the price of gasoline by 60 cents, 70 cents, dollar on the gallon, maybe more, whatever it takes. I feel like we've gone from crazy just so crazy, it just might work. I mean, there's a point at which a candidate offends so many people. He's either completely off the rails or maybe he's telling the truth. Maybe he's saying things that may be painful right now, 
but provide the most good for the most people. Things that the United States has to hear. Things that may offend special interests, but we need to hear. Well, if you like that kind of bold proclamation, I present the final plank. Remember, this is from our team of highly respected, dignified academic thinkers from some of the leading academic institutions in the country. Plank number six, illegal drugs. Make them legal. We spend a huge amount of resources putting people in jail and trying to catch them and discourage them. All it does is make uh, some nasty gang members rich. And um, we waste a lot of resources on putting them in prison, which is just a, a, a luxury form of hotel. I mean, it's it's a crazy, crazy system we have right now that makes no economic sense, but I think it also makes no philosophical sense. Absolutely crazy policy. I mean, we should be looking to, to decriminalize, you know, drugs like marijuana or to my view, probably much less harmful than, than, than alcohol. Um, the idea we have people spending years in jail and we have a whole illegal, uh, we, we have a whole uh, underground system of, uh, of supplying these drugs, you know, crime syndicate that supplies the drugs. It's absolutely crazy. You know, reforming the whole tax system, that's going to be tough. So Plank 6, legalizing marijuana, kind of takes the edge off the rest of that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. <laughs> I love our fake presidential candidate. I want to run him. <laughs> yeah, and we should thank Dan Pierce, the actor who played that role. Um, but, you know, if you think about this, if you think that all economists agree on, like, the platform. To be our, serious for a moment. Yeah. yeah, the platform that our fake presidential candidate was, was espousing, those, those six planks, you know, all of our economists do actually agree about that, and you'd think that at least some form of these recommendations would make it into candidates' platforms. Yeah, you would think that, but I, I have their economic platforms right here, and you can go to their websites. It, it's dozens and dozens of pages, and I have to say there is not much overlap between our panel of esteemed economists who are not shy about this, who have probably told everyone they meet about this plans. There's very little overlap between our panel and the real presidential candidates. Uh, President Obama, he has pledged to cut the corporate tax rate a little bit and to cut payroll taxes on lower and middle income Americans. But when it comes to getting rid of those deductions, like on health insurance and mortgage interest that our panel recommended, he's resistant. Like here he is in his big economic speech from last month, and he's talking about Republican plans to cut taxes by $5 trillion and make up for it by eliminating some of these very same deductions. The only tax breaks and deductions that get you anywhere close to $5 trillion are those that help middle-class families afford health care and college and retirement and home ownership. Without those tax benefits, tens of millions of middle-class families will end up paying higher taxes. There's a slight problem with this speech, which is that President Obama is implying that the big bad Republicans want to come after your deductions, that the Republicans want to take away the health insurance deduction and the mortgage interest deduction that we talked about. Which our panel would love. Yes, but in fact, Republicans are nowhere close to suggesting this, in public at least. Mitt Romney, okay, he says that he wants to completely change and simplify the tax system. It would seem like he would be with our panel. But when he is actually cornered and asked about this number one deduction, the mortgage interest deduction, the one that our panel was most eager to see go. Well, here he is being interviewed by Bob Schieffer, CBS. We know, Governor, and you've told us you haven't been bashful about telling us where you want to cut taxes. When are you going to tell us where you're going to get the revenue 
which of the deductions are you going to be willing to eliminate? Which of the tax credits are you going to uh, be, when are you going to be able to tell us that? Well, we'll go through that process with Congress as to which of all the different deductions and exemptions. But do you are have the any ones. ideas now, like uh, the home well, mortgage we, interest deduction, uh, you know, the various ones? Well, Simpson-Bowles went through a process of saying how they would uh, be able to reach mm -hmm. a, a, a setting where they had actually under their proposal, even more revenue for the government mm -hmm. with lower rates. So mathematically, it's been proved to be possible. We can have lower rates, as I propose, that creates more growth, and we can limit deductions and exemptions. But my, view, my, my view is the right way to do that is to limit them for high-income individuals, because I want to keep the progressivity of the code. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's pretty straightforward. It's, it's like this is political poison. Like, you just can't say, yeah, I'd be open to talking about eliminating the mortgage interest deduction. Like, why not? Let's talk about it. Economists agree with this. And this is really sort of sad, right? We have this six-plank platform. All these economists from all over the spectrum, they agree to it, and it deals with some of the biggest challenges that we face as a country. You know, rising health care costs, competitiveness, fairness, climate change. And yet you can't say any of these ideas out loud in public. You know, I, I picture... All of these politicians meet with economists. They behind closed doors, they they craft their platform. And I picture these economists saying these ideas to them, and the political people in the back of the room just shaking their head, going, "Not going to fly, not going to fly. That's not no. We're not saying that." But you know what? Like maybe I'm naive on the politics side of things, but I think, I think if we got the right people, with the right words. I think we could maybe sell some of these plans. And maybe not sell the plans, but at least explain this to the American people. I think a candidate could talk about this stuff. And in fact, on a future episode of the program, we are going to try to do just that. We are going to try to figure out how do you dress up this pig of a platform and make it a beauty that the American people would love to vote for. We're going to talk to the other side of the equation, the political folks, the strategists, the marketing people, the focus groupers, and we're going to find out if, in fact, you could sell this plank of economic no-brainers to the American public. The things that we should say The things that we should say As always, we would love your questions, comments, thoughts, whatever. Planetmoney at npr.org. And, you know, since we're talking about this, if you had suggestions for a good bumper sticker where you could fit a sophisticated economic idea and plan onto a simple eight-word bumper sticker, we would love to hear your advice. You can reach us on Twitter or Facebook. I'm Robert Smith. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thanks for listening. The things that we should say. Tendencies and weaknesses. They make me who I am I'm falling through the cracks and turns I'm circles in the sand